Let me invite you at this time to um, join with me as we pray for today's message. Uh, Let me invite you also to extend your hand this way. We just want to pray that God will honor his word and that he will have his way in this place. So, Jesus, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to share your word. I pray in Jesus' name that you will have your way. Lord God, I know that you are communicating to your church. So we just, we rest in that truth that you are communicating to your church. You said in the book of Revelation, he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. So Lord God, give us understanding. Give us clarity. Give us the strength, Lord God, to trust you and your word. And we pray that we will be transformed, our minds renewed, our hearts, Lord God, transformed by your grace. And so we honor you and we praise you. Let us be lovers of your word. Let us hold to the truths that are found in your word, Lord God. So, Father, we come against all distractions demonic or otherwise and we just pray lord god that as the word is preached as the seed is sent forth that it will land on good soil we also pray for those who are watching online or perhaps will be watching later we pray god that this word will minister to them as well as we honor you and we praise you in jesus name amen amen i want us to turn our bibles please to uh the book of leviticus Yes, the book of Leviticus. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Trust me, this is a book that when I was in Bible college, it was not the favorite book of all the students. They're like, Leviticus, what in the world are you talking about? We're going to go to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. And when you're there... I want you to say as they did in the old school, say amen. 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 Yeah, the word is so good. Leviticus chapter number 19, and we're going to just dive into a couple of truths that I believe is so important for us to, to grasp and to understand. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I must become, write this down, I must become a student of the word. I must become that. I must become a student of the word. And the reason why that is important is because the lawyer in Luke 10 with the gospel or, excuse me, the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus said to the lawyer, how do you read it? How do you read the letter of the law? So we have to become students of the word of God. I want you to write that down because that's so important. Because you must be a person of truth. Because the truth will set you free. The truth can set you free. How much can testify that you used to believe this was the situation. And when truth came in, you realized, oh my gosh, look at what I've been missing for so many years of believing this. And that's a good thing, right? Heard a story one time about uh, this uh, child who asked the mother, why, why, do you, why do you cut off the ends 
of, of, of the bread and, and, and you stick it in there. And she says, well, that's what my mother did. And so he went and said, Grandma, you know, why, why, do, why do you do that? And um, she finally said, well, the bread was always bigger than the pan. So I just cut it off so it fit in the pan. And so now they knew the truth. They, they knew why it was that they did those things. And so as a believer, as you're living your Christian life in the kingdom and you're living in the reality of here on earth, you must become a student of the word. Here's why. Because you must defend the faith. You're not defending God. He didn't ask you to defend him. Hello, somebody. You can't defend God. He's bigger than any, anything. He's, he's bigger. There's nothing that is even remotely close to God. So what you're doing in becoming a student of the word is you're learning to defend the faith. And that's very important. And so how do you defend the faith? You first and foremost have to know the word of God. And so Leviticus chapter 19 fits so um, um, important in understanding because as we get to it, you will see that Leviticus, it's a hard book to read because of so many things that seems ancient and seems foreign to us, right? Now, I've shared this before, and and for those who've heard me share this, uh, indulge me. Perhaps someone online has never heard this, or perhaps someone's here that's never heard this. But but if if you have your Bible or or your phone where the Word of God is on, I I remember a time um, when I would read the small Gideon Bible. How do you remember that small Gideon red Bible, that real small one that's fit in my back pocket? I remember I had that Bible. And I was reading it, and, and as I was reading it, I was able to comprehend what I was reading, but I didn't understand what I was reading. So I had the ability to read, praise God, but I couldn't fully understand what I was reading. So there's a lot of people who own a Bible and they read it, but they have no idea what the Bible says. I mean, Christians who read the Bible and have no clue what the Bible says. And so in Nehemiah, I love it because in Nehemiah chapter 8, it said that when they read the law, they made it clear to the people. They made them understand how important the word of God is. And they rejoice after reading the word of God. So it's telling me if you read the word of God properly, yes, there might be some conviction because your flesh is saying, ouch, but your faith is rejoicing because your faith is being built to defend the faith. Amen, somebody. So when you read the word of God and you say, ouch, oh my goodness, that was hard. That was the word of God cutting you. It's cutting away of the flesh you don't need anyways. But what it's doing, though, it's also building your faith. And so when I was looking at this, the first thing I want you to understand is if you read Leviticus 19 as strictly just a letter of the law, you will miss some amazing truths that are there that God wants you to understand so you can walk in freedom. But most importantly, you can see the nature of God. Someone write that down, the nature of God. The nature of God. So, so a student of the word of God, I told you to write that down. And number two, I mentioned that you want to defend the faith. And part of defend the faith is to know the nature of God. The nature of God. And so I, I was sitting and I was reading the Bible and I was 18. Uh, you know, didn't get saved. I was reading the Bible. And all of a sudden, when I got saved, the word of God just opened up to me. I would go back and read the same passage, and it would open up to me. I'd be like, oh, my goodness, I can see that. Here's the deal, and I tell people all the time, God didn't make me smarter when I got saved. He opened up the avenue of wisdom to me. 
And so you can be smart and make decisions that still don't line up with God's will for your life. But if you have wisdom, you line up with God's word for your life, with God's will for your life. So what you must be after, what I must be after, what the church must be after is wisdom. God, give us wisdom. And that requires you now to move from just the letter of the law to now my second point is the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law. And so as we take a look at Leviticus chapter 19, I said earlier that Leviticus is a hard book to read. Even though it's the third book in the Pentateuch or the five books of the Bible, it is a hard book to read because it's full of lots and lots of ancient laws and ideas that don't make sense to a 21st century mind. But that doesn't mean it's not relevant for today. So if I read it based on just the letter of it, I'm going to come across a passage I'm going to wrestle with. So what I need to understand then is the spirit of the law. The Bible says this very clearly, and this must be a foundation that you stand upon, that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Why is that important, Pastor? It's important because you have to understand that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is relevant for our lives today. So if we're reading Leviticus, we must understand that if it's in the Bible, if it's in what makes up the 66 books of the Bible, then I have to wrestle with these truths because perhaps there's something God is communicating with me and I'm missing it. Right. And we don't want that to be the case. Why? Because that's what happened to the lawyer. The lawyer quoted Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, but he missed it because all he saw was the letter of the law. So he asked Jesus, Jesus, to justify himself. How do I live out Leviticus 19, 18? That's what he's asking. And there's a reason why he's asking that because for this reason. Here's the three things I want you to understand that Jesus came to fulfill. Number one, Jesus came to let people know that God is holy. First and foremost, because demons will also say you are the holy one of Israel. Demonic spirit said that about Jesus, that he's holy. So if the kingdom of darkness recognizes who Jesus is, it's very important for us to recognize he's holy. That's what Leviticus 19 is really presenting, that God is holy. And so the lawyer is saying now, to fulfill the function of a scribe, to fulfill the function of a Levite, to fulfill the function of a priest, and all these individuals, they were important for communicating, ready, the letter of the law. That's what their role was, was to communicate the letter of the law. And so what happens is this, as we look at this, is that the challenge that we're faced today is when we understand that God is holy. Someone say he's holy. Come on, that's so important because I'm going to tell you right now that that God is holy is vital. And so the problem we have is that we live in extremes. We do. We live in extremes of being so much over here that we're self-righteous right, and legalistic, but we're so much over here that we compromise and we have no weight or substance behind what we're saying and we're a joke. And so when people look at the church, they either realize, oh my gosh, anything is allowed. That's one side. As long as you walk in your breathing, anything's allowed. And the Bible doesn't teach that, right? Amen, somebody? Come on. The Bible clearly doesn't teach that anything's allowed. 
Oh, I want it to sink in right now because we're saying it as if like, okay, no. The Bible is clear. Not everything is allowed. Come on, right? But there's also this other side as well that God is so holy that we're so distant from everybody else that nobody wants to be with us. So we live in the extreme. And so you find a church that honors your extreme. As opposed to being balanced. And understand, how then do I operate in this place of being balanced? So the lawyer, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, guess what extreme they lived in? The extreme over here. And whenever they came where there was a conflict of living in the extreme, they would just make up another law that would justify why they don't go back over here. And so they became the untouchables. They become the untouchables. And so now they look at Leviticus 19 and they're like, I can't touch that. And so the lawyer was saying, okay, Jesus, if I answered this question correctly, like you just said, how do I live out Leviticus 19 then and still remain holy and at the same time still honor the mission you've called me to do, which is to touch people. And so in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the reason why I'm taking so long deliberately before I get to it is because the parable of the Good Samaritan is so significant that many of us know the story and we're so familiar with it. If I just read it, you're just going to understand, oh, yeah, I know what it means. And no, we don't. What I mean by that is I'm not saying you don't know what it's saying. What I'm telling you is that now I understand the lawyer's dilemma, what he was facing. And that's what the church is facing today. And God is saying, he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Why? So you can learn to be a good neighbor. And so when people see you operate in balance, I'm telling you right now, this building is not big enough to bring all the people that God's heart is after to come in here. Come on. There is no coliseum. There is no stadium. Come on. There is no horseshoe. There is no place that is big enough for God's heart for people to come in and to see what God is doing, church. But we've got to get past Leviticus 19. So make a commitment that I'm no longer going to live by the letter of the law because it's the extremes. I'm going to live by the spirit of the law. And so let me show you how that works right here. You see, Leviticus 19 is is also given much attention in the New Testament. Many of the verses in chapter 19 are quoted in the New Testament. And why is that important? It's important then because we as believers, Christ followers, who interpret the word of God, the reality that Leviticus 19 is also in the New Testament lets us know that there's an inner biblical continuation. So in other words, Leviticus is just as relevant as Ephesians. That you can't fully understand the command of God without going back to Leviticus. And so perhaps you're saying, God, I want to love my neighbor as the word of God tells me. I want to love in this situation. What do I do? And it says, reading Leviticus 19, you've got to understand this, that God is holy and not everything is allowed, but you can't live as untouchables. You can't do that. That you got to give people access to the same grace that you have access to. That at one point you didn't know grace, but grace got a hold of your life. And all of a sudden now you forgot the mess you were in. I forget the mess I was in. And so we live over here now, self-righteous, think we know it all, full of pride, as opposed to realizing, no, no, when you got saved, it wasn't to detach from the world. It was to no longer have the world system connected to you. It was freedom. Living balance is freedom. How many want freedom? 
Freedom begins by recognizing God is holy. And so the first thing we see in Leviticus 19, if it can go on the screen, is verse 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And we looked at this last week a little bit. You see, understanding the whole thing that God is holy is this. If God is holy, this is all manifested in your life. If you're taking notes, write this down. When you tell people that I'm going to be holy because God is holy, that's the key. I'm going to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. Why are you living holy? Because God is holy. I can't do it on my own. So I have to be holy because God is holy. And he told me to be holy because he's holy. And here's, the, here's what I want you to write down when you understand he's holy. When you understand that you are holy, your life has purpose. You've been set apart to be used by God. So your life now has purpose. So any thought that comes for you to not operate according to God's design, you know it's a lie from the pit of hell. That your life has Purpose. I love what Miles Monroe said, the late Miles Monroe. He said, he said, uh, uh, purpose or, or abuse is abnormal use. That you abuse something you don't know the purpose of. Oh, that's so good right there. So good. And so God says, be holy because I'm holy. Let your life have purpose. We don't know the purpose of God. So now we allow the enemy to abuse us. Abnormal use. And so our bodies, our minds, our thoughts are given over. And so Leviticus 19 comes and says, no, no, change the way you think. You're holy. Your life has purpose. Tell that to your children. Walk in a manner of your life having purpose. And, and so I teach on Wednesday. We're teaching about the kingdom of God. And I, and I told them, and I was telling this person who, who I'm mentoring, I said, every time I say a kingdom word, I'm going to do this. Ding, 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 like the bells are going off. Every time, when I say a kingdom word, because we're so used to hearing the language of this world, that the kingdom language becomes so foreign to us, right? And so we have to understand the kingdom language. And so purpose is a ding, 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 ding. It's a, it's a kingdom language. God does everything because of purpose. Oh, my God. All things work together for good. Can I prove it? Come on. Someone says, prove it, pastor. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his what? Oh, that's a kingdom word right there. When you're holy, your life has purpose. You tell that to your kids. Why can't I go there? Because you're holy. Your life has purpose. Don't abnormally use your body. Don't abnormally use your gifts, your talents. That's how we raise our children to let them know, why can't I do that? Because your life has purpose. That's it. And if you're in this building... And you're struggling with knowing the purpose for your life. Let's talk. Because if you don't know the purpose of a thing, you will always abuse it. You will. All the time. Corey's a phenomenal drummer. But I go back there, I'm destroying that thing. (laughs) Good intentions, but don't know the purpose of it. And so the first thing is, your life has purpose. Second thing, your life has meaning. If you're holy and we're looking at Leviticus and he calls a congregation together and they just came out of Exodus, right? And now he's telling them, hey, be holy because I'm holy. And he says, your life has purpose. But he also says now your life has meaning. Your life has meaning. 
So in our evangelism, look how God has already empowered us. He's saying, I know you're supposed to be holy because I'm holy. I'm going to show you now how to touch people, but yet not be contaminated by the world system. Go to people and tell them, the reason why I'm here is because your life has purpose. Because my life has purpose. And your life has meaning, and that's why I'm here to let you know the meaning of life. The meaning of life. And then number three, and this is where we hang out for the majority because this is the level where, where most people are at. Your life has value. Your life has value. John Maxwell, a great leadership guru, he always says, uh, he deals with this value thing. He says, your life has value. Hi, I'm John. I'm your friend. And he talks about the value system. But the value system that you have must reflect the meaning of life, which must get to the purpose of life. And so if you talk to me at all, my first thing is to try to get you to understand your purpose. If you don't know the purpose of marriage, you're in trouble. If you don't know the purpose of having kids, you're in serious trouble. If you don't know the purpose of church, you're in real serious trouble. If you don't know the purpose of God, we're in so much trouble. And if you look at things, ask people, what is the purpose of this? And so we have people going to people asking for purpose. You got to point it to God. Because the thing created can't tell the purpose. You got to go to the creator. What is the purpose for your life? Leviticus 19 is answering that. Can, can you picture with me now that, that this that millions of people who've just come out of slavery, millions of people who just came out of the grips of Pharaoh who was abused for years has now been set free physically. And it's in this context, he says, now love your neighbors. What? I don't know the purpose for my life when you tell me to love my neighbor. And what he's saying is this. Why? Because God is holy. Because your life has purpose. Your life has meaning. Your life has value. And he's saying you have to have this to move on to be able to really, truly love your neighbor. Here it is. See, when you experience purpose, meaning, and value, the holiness of God puts a fear in you that motivates you for obedience. That I have to obey the Lord. Why? Because he's telling me is this. Be holy because I'm holy. So God, and I quote, is essentially asking you and I to treat other humans created in his image. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. We got to go with it right, right quick. Because this was before the fall. This is before the fall. Remember I said your life has purpose, your life has meaning, your life has value, and you know I'm going back to Genesis, right? So let's go back to Genesis, and let's settle this issue once and for all when it comes to God and his creation, when it comes to humanity. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God, who created? So Yahweh, Elohim, created man. The Hebrew word, Adam. Or it means red. So he created man in his own what? In the image of who? God. He created who? Him. Who? Male and female. He created them before the fall. So if you want to talk after the fall, that's dangerous because I'm moving away from purpose then. And if I'm building a tower, the higher it goes, the more I have to make sure I stay in line. Because even just a little bit off, if we keep going higher, eventually we're going to be leaning this way. And so what happens is this, because we want to be nice as opposed to being kind. What we do is we allow people to have their own purpose. That we just respect because we want to be nice. 
And, and, and so we are living after the fall where Satan said, you can be whatever you want to be. And so to love your neighbor, I have to understand that. Hold on a second. To love my neighbor, I have to go back to purpose. I got to go back to me. I got to go. I need to read Leviticus 19 then. Because I have to tell a people who's come out of years of not knowing purpose. They have to reprogram their mind to know the purposes of God. And God begins by saying, I'm holy. I'm holy. There's a purpose. I'm set apart. So how did this thing work? So I'm drinking this, this water here, right? And so, and so as it is, it, it's, just, it's just water. But when God puts his essence on it, it now becomes holy, separated. So it says, these utensils that, that you're using, now my, my divine's on it. Now they're holy. They're set apart for my use. But this set, no, but this set is set apart. Oh, come on. You got to get this. Because God wants you to recognize who you are. Oh, my word. Because the battle has always been for your identity. That's always been the battle. So we're reading it right here. Come on. He says he made them male and female. He created them. And so he, he does it. And so here it is now. He says God is essentially asking us to treat other humans created in his image. So you can't love your neighbor if you hang out in Genesis chapter 3. You got to go back to Genesis chapter 1. <laughs> and so to go back to Genesis chapter 1, you must understand God's purpose, God's meaning, God's value. Why do we struggle to go back to Genesis chapter 1, our minds? We just can't fathom the reality of how do I live holy in an unholy world. And I've said this over and over again. It might sound like I'm on a broken record. But if you read your Bible, when he created Adam and Eve, as you just read, the enemy was there. So he's already teaching us how to live holy in an unholy world. Obedience, ding, ding, ding. What does that mean? It's a kingdom word. So he says obedience is how you do it because you are set apart. That serpent is, you are set apart. Oh, God. Because he punished the serpent for allowing the serpent to let Satan use his body. Punishes him. Because you're going to be cursed. Because you don't know purpose. And the enemy comes in to take your identity so you don't know the purpose. You don't know the purpose. And so we read on. And so, and so here it is. So he wants us then to treat humans like that in a way that is consistent with his character and how he treats us. That is so good. So if I love my neighbor, I'm loving you the way God loves me. That's dangerous if I'm not healed. That's good. If I'm not healed, that's dangerous then, right? So I've got to get to a place of understanding, no, God is holy, and I have to stay there. Because here's the other thing that he moves on to now, and he goes and he says this. And so here, here is how he wraps up that God is holy. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. If we can get on the screen, I'd, I'd greatly appreciate it. But in First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, here's what he says. Here's what Peter does, right? Peter says, now the letter of the law says this, but here's what the spirit of the law is saying. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Since, verse 16, it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Where's Peter getting that from? Leviticus 19. Peter is saying Leviticus 19. So he's bringing the application. He's saying living in this century, I have to go back to this century. Oh, 
Because your conduct and your behavior is connected to your belief over here in Leviticus 19. He says, so, so be holy. Why? Because God is holy in all your conduct. So when you're not treating people as God says, guess what? You're not being holy. And what happens is this. We get stuck in our emotions of how do I help people and still remain holy. And that was the dilemma that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious people were struggling with. They didn't know how to do it. And Jesus comes on the scene. So if you want to know what the church is supposed to be, then Peter goes on again in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A what nation? A holy nation. A people for his own possessions. That you may proclaim the excellency of him who calls you out of darkness. What? Into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Are we gonna, uh, if we can get verse 10 of 1 Peter 2, verse 10 on the screen, because I want you to get this. Because this verse is critical to understand the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Watch what he says in verse number 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are who? Come on, do we believe that? You are who? You are God's people. Wow. Let that sink in. How are we treating God's people? How are we treating God's people who are creating God's image and God's likeness, who has purpose, meaning, and value? How are we doing it? Outside of God, it is impossible to live it out. And the lawyer knew it. He says, so you tell me, Jesus, how to do it. And here is the answer. But now you are God's people. Once you were not, excuse me, once you had not received what? Mercy. But now you've received what? Mercy. Mercy. So you shall be holy is both a command and a promise. And now we get to where we are. Point number two, God is holy. Point number two, people are hurting. People are hurting. The moment you understand purpose, meaning, value, if your heart, if your compassion, which means the bowel, when he said just was moved with compassion, they physically meant the bowels inside of him was just moved. It wasn't just feeling. It was a deep inner thing when he saw injustice, when he saw people who was hurting, when he saw people who were lame, when he saw the blind. Jesus, the Bible says, was moved with compassion for hurting people. He says he sees the, the, the nation as, 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 as sheep without a shepherd, just scattered. And so you and I must understand that people are hurting. And if we look in our text, we can see it. Why? Because the last part of what the lawyer said was, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Not self-care, but it's to be holy. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if you are a person of purpose, meaning of value, you're going to love people the same way. Because you recognize people are hurting. Because they've been in abusive situations. And so when we take a look at the second law, when we look at the second law of loving your neighbor as yourself, the central point of all biblical laws and personal holiness, that when you love your neighbor, here it is, it is the antidote to correct all negative behavior towards others. 
So he has this nation now, and he's saying, I'm holy. Okay, great. Love me. Yes, God, you brought us out of bondage. You're doing all this stuff, God. Love me. But God, I'm still loving others, going to be the antidote that's going to correct all my bad behavior. And God's like, watch it. I'm going to show you right here how it's done. Because God wants us to understand this. That people were made and are made in the likeness and the image of who? God. That is so awesome. I think we got to take a praise break right there. Come on. The person beside you is made in the image of God. Praise God, image bearer. My goodness. Come on. Praise God, image bearer. You image. Oh, my word. I've got so much love in the bowels of my stomach. Why? Because I see another image bearer right beside me. Wow. That is so awesome. We get to hang around image bearers who reflect the character, the nature of God. No wonder I love fellowship. It's amazing stuff to be around other image bearers. Why are we excited when we come together to be amongst other image bearers who love God? It's because we're hurting. And I don't have the capacity to love you. Because I'm just trying to love God and deal with my hurt. So it's not that I want to ignore you. It's just that I'm trying to get over my own hurt. And so what he wants to understand is this. People are hurting. They need to be touched. They need to be touched. They need to be acknowledged. They need to understand. And so it becomes now. So how then do I have conviction without compromising? Great question. Be holy and love your neighbor. Write that down. How do I have conviction of the truth? And we got one side, and I'm so glad. Come on, speak the truth, brother. Speak the truth. It's going to hurt. Yes, it's it's hurting because you're dealing with hurting people. But when you speak truth, what it should do is bring a hope to a hurting people. That is so good. My goodness. And so you're talking to someone, and so here in Leviticus 19, he says that. So let's, let's look at it. So here I'm going to identify five things that I see. And perhaps if you take a deep dive into Leviticus 19, you may come up with some other things. But this is the five things that God has given me about why people are hurting. It's practical, and it's also this, right? It's, it's really important because the laws that Moses was sharing with them in Leviticus was dealing with economic stuff, social things, moral things, ethical things. It was given, it was given structure to a people that needed structure. And so when we take a look at people are hurting, the first thing, write this down, if somebody is hurting, the first thing they need is structure. They, they need structure, right? They, they, they need something as a guardrail. They need something to, 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 to structure them is what they need. And so here's what he was giving them to be a people in a community. The first thing, Leviticus 19, verse 13. If we can get that on the screen, please, that would be, be fantastic. Leviticus 19, verse 13 says this. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Why would he say that in a community of people who are all people of Israel? He said, listen, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. He also says, the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Why is that so important? Here's why. You see, in the New Living Translation, it says, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired worker wait until the next day to receive their pay. 
Defrauding or robbing gets further defined, and the explanation is this. Don't keep for yourself the wages of the laborer until the morning. In other words, those who employ others. Let me stop right there. God, I believe, in this season wants to release a spirit of entrepreneurship on so many of you so you can love your neighbor. Oh, you got to write that down or listen to it again. Because you look at me like a deer in the headlight. God wants to release business ideas, concepts into your spirit, into your heart, so that you will prosper, so you then can love your neighbor. I'll say it again. God wants to drop in your spirit creative ideas, my God, that generates a profit and an income so you can love God and love your neighbor. Woo! I'm going to say it again. Come on. Every business owner, you better grab that prophetic word right there that God has given you a business idea so that you can become an employer, my God, that knows how to treat your employees and that you're able to generate a profit through creativity that expands the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness that takes from the wicked to give to the righteous so you can love your neighbor. Oh my God, like you need to love them. God is releasing to the church. Create Activity, concepts, and ideas. Because he says here, don't defraud or rob people. And why is that? Because the Lord, when they asked him, how do we pray? What did Jesus say how to pray? He says, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our what? And if you hold on to it, and people are praying because they pay them daily. Oh, God. And so people are praying for provision, and God has given you profit. Oh, And so they're saying, God, why am I not being provided? And God is like, they're not loving their neighbor. It's not me. They're not loving their neighbor. So guess what? I want to give you ideas and concepts and things. And so the first thing is this. Why people are hurting? Because they're being financially robbed of work. There are people who are not getting the, the, the compensation for their giftedness at some places. They're oppressing them. And he's saying, you've got to understand, my God, that God can give you a creative ideas. I, I told my kids, I says, listen, the reason why I network with people and the reason why I love them is because, listen, when they know that you're the son or you're the daughter of Roe, they're going to be like, man, your character is great. And they're going to hire you and you're going to bypass everybody else that needs to worry about that. Come on, you hear what I'm saying? God wants some individuals to embrace an entrepreneur spirit because you know purpose, you know value, you know meaning, and God wants you to realize people are hurting because there's employers who's taking advantage of them and not paying them what they're worth. So start a business. Oh my God. Become entrepreneur in your thinking or for other reasons than simply for this reason then so that you can see opportunity for people to get free. People being financially robbed of work, not of a job, of work. I remember some guy was asking Miles Monroe, he says, hey, do you got 20 bucks? And he says, no, but if you wash my car, I'll give you 20 bucks. He goes, I don't, I don't want to work. I just want 20 bucks. And in Leviticus 19, he says, when you glean your fields, don't go back over it. Don't be greedy. I'm going to provide for you. So if the grain fell out, God knows the grain was going to fall out. Why? Because there's someone who's being robbed of work. 
And if you take what was left over, they then would want a handout as opposed to getting their hands dirty. And when God created us, he got his hands dirty. And he formed us in the ground. And God worked. And God rested on the seventh day. And so when you're greedy or you're robbing people of profit, you're robbing of work. Oh, my God. The very thing that wasn't cursed. The ground was cursed, but not work. And he's telling the people here, I got to go. He's saying the first level of people's hurt is economic hurt. And so we see what's going on with the gas price. He says, church, don't freak out. Because if you truly love your neighbor, ask me for, ask me for something. I'll give it to you so you can love your neighbor. Why? Because my word is my bond. And I said, if you love me and love your neighbor, you have eternal life. And so if you realize that things are happening, get it from the bowels. Get it from your compassion and realize, God, give me a creative idea. Business owners, I pray for them. I love them because the way they think. See, write this down. God gave me this, and then we'll get to the second one, and we'll, be, and we'll move on just for time's sake. Profit, write this down if you're taking notes. Profit is financial opportunities rewarded for honest work. So when you get a paycheck, it is a financial opportunity rewarded to you for honest work. And so, therefore, because we want to display his excellence, we work from a place of saying, I don't want to rob God or rob my neighbor. And so, because people are hurting financially, God's remedy is to release creativity. Oh, i got to say that again. Because people are hurting economically. God's remedy is to release creativity. That you will be able to start a business that can employ people. And if you are an employee, you work with excellence, recognizing that God honors faithful stewardship. That he honors it. He honors faithful stewardship. Honors it. Because he says, give of your tithes and your offering. And God wants to recognize. He says, when you go over your harvest, don't go back over it again. Let the people, let the neighbors have to get on their overalls and let them go. Because when they recognize work, they recognize value, meaning, and purpose. This is so good, man. That's what for me personally, a business owner, oh, I pray for you. I pray, say, God, prosper that business. Open doors, bring clients. Bring clients, Lord God. Give creative ideas. I, I want to pray that over us tonight. I, I do. I do. Th- this may be, uh, I don't really, I just want to be a great, be the best employee that you can be. Be the best employee you can be. And trust me, I fill those surveys out. I, I do. I'm like, of all the churches in Marion, I've said this before, of all the churches in Marion, we should be able to go to a restaurant and get good customer service. See, I'm I'm teaching apostolically right now because God has assigned this church to operate apostolically. That we're not just coming together just to have a good time. We're coming to be empowered, to be students of the word of God because we want to see the economy transformed. Can you believe God for that? That we want to see the economy transformed. That we see high gas prices and groceries and people are like, oh my gosh, I can't do this for God because of this in the world. What? Never, ever should come in our minds that when we see what's going on, that we devalue God because of what's going on in the world. 
then you can't love your neighbor. And so what we must understand is this, that if you're in a situation, and we're going to get to it, how do I handle a place if I'm being abused and robbed as an employee? We're going to get to it. Today won't allow us, but we're going to get to it because what happens if you stay there, one of the things that writes in Leviticus 19 is you're going to have hate in your heart. And he says, I can't get to the hate in your heart till I understand, and you understand, stop being robbed of this. Are you with me so far? So let me give you an example of this. So it's told in Luke 19. This is our last scripture because I got to prove this. And Richie, you can get your hands warmed up and come on. This is it. I'm going to pray for financial, economic prosperity to be released in this house. We will not be intimidated by the economy of the world. Do you hear what I'm saying? Inside this house right now, every single one of you who made it here today in the rain. Come on, somebody. That God says the remedy is creativity. You're asking, it's creativity. It's creativity. You're asking, it's creativity. Because you want to love your neighbor. And we're going to get to some of the cultural issues that's taking place. Because here's what happened. If you want to be a protected class, just say that you're hurt. Come on. If you want to be a protected class of people, just say that you're hurt. And economically, you're suffering and they'll protect you. It's always been about the economy. <laughs> the enemy's goal is always the economy. That God said you could do. It's always the economy. It's always the management, the stewardship of God's resources. It's always been that. What did God say about this tree? Not what did God say about his nature? What did God say about the economy? And so the remedy, write that down. Get that tattooed if you need to. Praise God. And write down, the remedy is God's creativity. I'm an employee. The remedy is God's creativity. I'm an employer. The remedy is God's creativity. Why? Because I'm going to love my neighbor. Why? Because my life has purpose. My life has value. My life has meaning. And guess what? In order to love God and love my neighbor and the people that are hurting, God, I need the remedy, which is creativity. And so Luke chapter 19 It says this. Well, let me turn to it. Let me turn to it. If someone's there, say, amen, I'm there. Okay. So wait up for me. Luke 19. Here it is. Thank you. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Verse number one. He entered Jericho and he was passing through. Who entered Jericho? Jesus. He entered TGP and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. How did he get his profit? By being a tax collector. He was not only working for Rome, he was oppressing the very people of his own. And he got wealthy off of that. Oh my God. Doing the devil's work and making profit. And we talk about profit in the church and we choke. And the enemy has no means. He doesn't care. And so what he's saying is that as long as they don't tap into God's creativity, it's great. He goes on. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. 
So he hurried and came down and what? Received him. The tax collector working for Rome. Who was wealthy. The tax collector who wasn't loving his neighbor. Saw Jesus and got on a different perspective. Oh my God. Some of us needs to get higher and see Jesus because he's passing this way. I prophesy to you, church. Creativity has been released in you. Come on, in the name of Jesus. You've been faithful in your tithes and offering. You're faithful in your attendance. You're faithful in serving God. You said no to sin. You said no to the devil. Don't stop there. Ask God for more. My God, ask God for life and life more abundantly. Don't stop there. People are hurting. And they're hurting financially. They're being robbed of work. And Zacchaeus was one of those persons robbing them. He became rich. The way it worked was you had to pay Rome tax. And then when you went into the temple, you had to pay the temple tax. Listen, economy was always the enemy's uh, uh, weapon. Always. Oh, I got to hurry. Watch this. Because I want to pray for some of y'all. Why you see in the Old Testament these prophets wealthy? Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and, and, his, uh, and his nephew, Lot. Struggling. They're hired people saying, we're growing so much that we're fighting. They go separate. And followed all the way through until Jesus comes and how the enemies attack the economy. That now we say, well, Jesus didn't have anything. Are you out of your mind? Here was just economy. Hey, 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 Peter. Um, does Jesus pay taxes? Peter's like, of course he does. The guy goes, hey, Peter, hey, Jesus. Um, do we pay taxes, man? Because <laughs> here's what he said. I want you to go fishing. Go work. Oh, come on. The remedy is your creativity. I want you to go work. Get how I've made you. My God, go fish. And the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will see a pearl in there and go and pay your tax. Why? Because the assignment is too important to be distracted. The assignment is too important to be distracted. Peter does what he does, pays it, and they move on. And I'm going to tell that God has an assignment for you. And if there's limitations right now, God is saying, I'm going to break those because you love your neighbor. You love God. People are hurting. And guess what? He wants to release in you an economic idea. Wisdom of nowhere. Invest your money. Investors, where are you at? Investors, how to invest your money, even in the economy like this. How to invest your money. My Jesus, I feel this thing so much. So much. And he goes on and he says this. As we're reading. So he heard and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Watch this down. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. They got to the point. How could that which is holy touch that which is unholy? There was about to be an economic transfer and the enemy shows up and gets religious spirit to come and say, how if this guy is supposed to be who he is? How is the holy now touching the unholy? You got to get this. There was about to be an economic transfer that was going to make this man love his neighbor. And the devil showed up. He says, you can love God, but if you love your neighbor, I'm going to show up and try to prevent the economic transfer that needs to happen. And set this man free. And Jesus said... I don't care if you think I'm eating with sinners. 
My life has purpose. My life has meaning. My life has value. And I'm loving this person. And supposed to be. And he goes on and he says this now. And so he says, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, if I've messed Leviticus 19 up, if I've messed up Leviticus 19, look what he says. I restored fourfold. And Jesus says to him today, salvation has come to this house since he is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Bingo. Come on, clap your hands, everybody. And so we say, wealthy people can't get saved. Because Jesus showed up and brought a kingdom message to economically change his mind. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. I got four minutes left. I do believe this message was for everybody, but I know it's for somebody. I know it is. I know it is. I know it is. My God, I know it is. People are hurting financially. They're being robbed of work. And church, we have the answer. It's the kingdom of God. It's loving God and loving our neighbors. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're believing God for a creative idea, I want you now to thank God like you already have it. Thank him by faith. Say, thank you, Lord Jesus, that this business will prosper. Thank you, Jesus, that I'll get a promotion. Thank you, Jesus, that I'll get elevated to the CEO. Thank you, Jesus, that clients are coming in. Thank you, Jesus. Why? Because I want to love my neighbor well I want to love my neighbor well I want to love my neighbor well receive creativity receive it now in the name of Jesus receive creativity come on receive it receive it receive it Receive. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to work on Monday, Lord God, with a new mindset. I'm going to work as a person of purpose. Oh, my Jesus, that's being released right there. I live in a toxic culture at work. I, I live in a toxic environment. And so, God, I first and foremost take the first step to live on Leviticus 19. I will no longer be robbed of financial prosperity. I will no longer cause my mind to limit you, Lord God. Give me creative ideas, Lord Jesus. If I'm in real estate, Lord God, I pray for favor. Oh, my God. In the name of Jesus, I pray for that client, oh, God, that is praying and asking, God, can somebody come and help me? I pray in Jesus' name, that house that seems to not be able to sell, that when I come, God, the kingdom of God will come upon it, and it will sell, and there will be a profit for me to love my neighbor. In the name of Jesus. Can I invite you just to worship him for just a minute?